That's the growling of the brewery. The brewery gods are angry. Today I'm at Crucible Brewery with Sean Dowling and Dick Mergens. Crucible has two locations, one in Everett and one in Woodenville. Today we're sitting at the one in Woodenville. A nice, easy ride along the Burt Gilman to get there from Seattle. A little bit of Sammamish River Trail in there too. Really beautiful ride that I highly recommend. They will be at the Gigantic Bicycle Fest later this month, August 24th to 26th. Three of their beers will be on tap there. We learned about how an amazing act of charity was the catalyst for this brewery's formation back in the day, and how running a brewery can sometimes be a tear-inducing event. It's a pretty good story. If you're listening to this, then I suspect you're a big fan of beer. Craft Beer Club ships a monthly crate of carefully chosen beers straight to your door. If you need a good gift idea for the drinker that has everything, I bet they'd still appreciate a bit of beer. You can get delicious beer and support the Cycling Cicerone by following the link in the description, on the blog, or by going to cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club. That's cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club. I'm your host, the Cycling Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. I'm Dick Mergens. I'm the head brewer at Crucible Brewing. Hey guys, I'm Sean Dowling. I'm not the head brewer at Crucible Brewing. Yeah, you may recognize me as looking like one with a big bushy beard and whatnot, but I am not. So I'm the anti-social media guy. You'll see me behind the bar on occasion too. And I do all the fun stuff while he does the brewing stuff. I do the real stuff. (laughs) Oh, keeping it real. The only job that matters, sir. Oh, snap. See, (laughs) now you're going to see a virtual fight over the podcast too. Okay, so how did the two of you all fall in together? How How does this happen that... You guys, are you, you're both co-owners of the brewery. Am I Correct. Right? How did that happen? So you were brewing beer and one day said, I need a guy to run the bar. This is actually a, a very long story. Long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's 22 years in the making, actually. Sean, Sean and I have been best friends since we were 12 years old. We've been friends for a, quite a long time now. At forever. This point. Yeah. So you can say it, we forever. Are het- we are hetero life mates. I'm uh, Jay, he's Silent Bob. <laughs> It's a fat but, joke somewhere, I know yeah, it. There, yeah, there is definitely a fat joke. Yeah, the fat, quiet, bearded guy? Come on, mm. you're totally silent, Bob. Mm. <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess I guess for the record, Sean sort of turned on his podcast voice as soon as he had a mic on him. He was talking quiet earlier, but now he... Oh, man. This guy, this guy has, like, this great announcer, like, radio voice. Like, whenever he gets on a microphone for trivia or anything... It's a, it's a yeah. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of situation, yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, anyway, like I, we we've been uh, like big like beer fans, and you know we we'd hit every beer fest that came out. We only religiously beer. would drink beer I, all was, the time. Yeah, I mean, like literally every time we got together, we would just go out and try to drink something that we'd never had. Um, every every day was an adventure when you're with your best yeah. friend in beer, right? Yeah. But uh, one day, I literally woke up at three a.m. in in the morning. Like just totally randomly, just decided that you know I want to I want to brew beer I want to open up a brewery this is this is what I want to do with our life I got a hold of Sean uh, the next day he calls me up and said hey next time you come up and visit let's make some beer yeah bring some money we're gonna buy some bring stuff. some yeah bring some money yeah <laughs> what am I a walking wallet to you yes but uh, yes that yes. is the answer so we pooled all of our money and our resources and our uh, limited intelligence and brewed our first homebrew batch together. Which, if I remember correctly, was an amber, right? It actually was yeah. an amber, yeah. Coming full circle yeah. there, it's always an amber, right? Yeah. And then we looked at some of those. Actually, Dick got me interested in IPAs. I never could stand them originally, you know, because I was a stout and porter kind of guy, you know. 
And uh, yeah, we brewed our first IPA just several months later. I want to say yep. a couple months later and stuff. And at first I was like, what is this? This is different. Kind of think I might like it in five years. We'll see. You know? <laughs> well, this is kind of the history of uh, Sean and Dick is I get these ideas in my head and then I force Sean to like them. <laughs> yes, that's that's how I learned to love sours as well. It's a very similar experience. Like, hey, you should try this 20 different times. I'm like, we're going to get drunk and we're going to drink nothing but this type of beer. I know you hate it. Why are you doing this? <laughs> this is what we've got to do. We had never homebrewed. We'd never done anything. So we figured the first first step is just learn how to brew. And so we got homebrew systems. We did every weekend we'd get together and we'd brew something and give it out to our friends, you know, whatever... <laughs> whatever we could do uh, at some point i got kind of tired of doing a regular job ended up leaving that i was a i was an assistant store manager at lowe's i had no real plans or ambitions other than eventually i want to open a brewery the day that i left lowe's mac and jacks posted a job i actually got lucky to get in there as a sellerman uh lowest level there and quickly worked my way up to a brewer i worked for mac and jacks for about three years and then uh, left them for Hi-Fi. I was only there for about six months before I got a better opportunity at Red Hook. And then within a year, Sean and I were like, okay, I'm tired of making other people's beer. <laughs> Let's go into crippling debt. <laughs> Let me get that straight, though. You said you thought you wanted to open a brewery before, before you ha even yeah. had a brew kit. Yes. So your story goes does not it does not follow the, the classic tale yeah. of homebrew kit turned... Yeah. So you kind of set out on this journey to figure it out. Yeah. Started with the kit, got an actual job at the at a real brewery at Macajacks, which is the biggest independent brewery in Washington, it, right? For a long time they were. I think I think they're now number three. They're at least in the top three. Right. With George, like what Georgetown, Georgetown and Georgetown's Fremont, the right? biggest, and then Fremont, I think, and then Macajacks. But I mean, they've. I mean, if if you think like. Less than less than ten years ago, Mac and Jacks was one of the top twenty breweries in the entire nation. So you worked at Mac and Jacks, you worked at Hi-Fi, and you worked at Red Hook. Um, how would you describe the differences between those breweries? And like not just your roles there, maybe your role your roles there, but also the differences between the breweries. Mac and Jacks is is very much a machine. Like, of anywhere that I've ever worked, no one is more efficient. I mean, if you think about it, like, the, my, my system here in Woodenville is barely smaller than, than Mac and Jack's, as far as the, the hot side. They've got a lot bigger, like, they've got 100-barrel fermenters and stuff, but, they, you know, they're brewing, you know, 40 batches a week, which is just insane. How big is your y'all's brew house? We've got a, about a 20-barrel system. Like, I, I think it's a 20-hectoliter, honestly. I haven't gone and completely calibrated it. Oh, yeah. I, I've got a batch per batch calibration, but I haven't actually gone in and like. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Okay. Yeah, but they uh, they've got a they've got a 23. I mean, and I'm I'm not producing even even 10% of what they do. Yeah, but they yeah they're they're very much a they're they're very much a model of uh, you know hard work and efficiency. I mean, you know they they've managed to. Uh, you know, get everything down to just the science. Yeah, I've never worked anywhere that like gets that much done with what they have. As a actual brewer at Mac and Jack's, I need you to answer an important question. For okay. Me. So Mac and Jack's main beer, their African Amber, their their famous yeah. one, the one that's yeah. everywhere. I got friends who love it. 
I don't like it that much. And I think it's because of that, like, it's got that buttery diastole flavor. And I swear they do it on purpose. That's part of it, right? Is that like, what's going on over there? I, I do have a non-disclosure agreement, so I can't tell you the exact stuff. But what, what I have had is I have had a conversation with Mac uh, about that, like, you know, ab about the way that things go. And he said, look, I understand that there's opportunities to make this a better beer than it is. But I sell 40,000 barrels of it a year like this, and people are not going to like it as much if I change it to make it how, to what my opinion is of what I think it would be better. You give the customer what they want, and most customers want Mac and Jacks to be exactly the way it is right now. And, uh, and the African Amber is is selling well, and most people really enjoy it, as you said. Um, so why would they change it? You know. Fair enough. That is yeah. a that's a good insight for me. I like yeah. that. Thank you yeah. for butting up against the edge of your non-disclosure there. That's right. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you about any of the uh, the, the processes or, or or ingredients. During this time, what are you up to? Well, I was living underneath a bridge. Lots of internet porn. The Fremont Troll, we all heard of him. That was, yeah. that was <laughs> <That's> Sean. Sean. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, geography shifted down in the Portland area. I was working as a, uh, uh, in the tech field at a software company, which actually, as of last week, I finally let them go. Congratulations. Yes. yes. Yeah, no longer a freelancer or employee of the software industry, but wholeheartedly of the beer industry now. So, and couldn't be happier. About the time that we started homebrewing, I would actually drive up usually once or twice a month from Portland to brew with Dick. And part of our tradition, of course, was to drink the previous batch while we were brewing the next batch. And as you can imagine, that definitely had mixed results as far as consistency and batches turning out, but it was a learning process and it was a good tradition. That we it did. really is the only way to do it. You know? I think Charlie Papazian made that rule, right? Yeah. yeah. Relax. <laughs> don't worry. Have a homebrew. Yeah. <laughs> Forget about it. No, no, wait, don't forget about it. The timer's about to go off. Yeah. yeah, you're doing software during that entire time. Yeah, so I wasn't involved in the beer scene or anything like that uh, until we you know, started to uh, stake out our claim and getting Crucible up and running. What and was the catalyst for that in the end? Oh, was, for, uh, for Sean moving out of the field? Well, for you guys both deciding, I guess, at the same time oh, that, that it was, was time to do Crucible. Legit, and that was time. That it was yeah. time to make the move. You, at this point, had a bunch of brewing experience. You've been all around the world of Washington. <laughs> and um, and and you've been in Portland doing software the whole time, but that, there's got to be a, a moment, right? So, uh, hey, so uh, we're gonna get a little sad for a second. All right. So uh, one of our other uh, really good friends uh, had his roommate committed suicide. Right. So, but in that, apparently it had been planned for a very long time. He had actually left a life insurance policy for our buddy uh, and said, you know, do something selfish. You know, go start a business, do something to make you happy. Um, so he couldn't think of anything that was going to make him happy to do a business. So he called me. He's like, hey, Dick, I know you've been wanting to start this brewery for a long time. How about I do it with you? I've got this life insurance policy. Um, so he called us and we started doing it. He, we, we did the build out. I mean, that was kind of the catalyst. We ended up having to get a bank loan and, you know, to yeah. get everything up. But I mean, it was a good start. We got all the way up till we were two weeks away from opening. And he said, I gotcha. It's too late to give me my money back. I'm done. It turns out he didn't end up doing anything selfish. He just, he's like, he I gave it away. Yeah. He pretty much gave the money away from us and like got us to a point where we, couldn't back out 
selfless, a very selfless act. For yeah. Him. Wow, that's insanity. And, um, Sean and I are still working on paying him back and getting that getting that money back to him. Well, you weren't okay keeping that. Yeah, you're not going to just give us this money. We this need is... to make this right. So that's one hell of a catalyst. If ever, if ever there was one, that is one. Yeah. Wow. Then you find a place, you know, in yeah. Everett. We opened in uh, October of 2015. We had incorporated in December of 2014. So it took, it took us almost 10 months to get everything open. And the vast majority of that was looking for a space. Yeah. Because oh. yeah, what happened around space. that time, guys? Think about it. All of the cannabis operations started opening up, which meant uh, yeah. limited space and resources for prospective breweries yeah. opening up, too. Yeah. Even though the big original. beer boom happened around that time, too. Yeah, looking for that original location was terrible. Oh. <laughs> it was an exercise in frustration, but not futility, because eventually we found the perfect place. Now you have yeah. two locations. You've got the Everett Foundry, and then this is the Forge. Well, one of my strongest memories of uh, when we were just right about to open the Everett location. It was literally the day before. Up to that point, we had gone through various trials and tribulations, permit-related, construction-related, uh, stress-related, as you do. Because, uh, you know, various timelines will slip and all that kind of stuff. But my biggest uh, memory is Levi walking in the day before we open. Levi, our, our now brewer, sitting down and wanting to order a beer. We had never met him up to that point. He did not realize that we were not open uh-huh. at that time. He's like eating his ham sandwich or something at the bar waiting for a beer. And we're looking over <laughs> at him. And yeah, he grabbed some Qdoba and just walked in and sat down at the bar while we were doing like a, like kind of a pre-opening meeting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, like, we weren't open at all. Yeah. Wow. Like, it just, the door was unlocked. Yeah. And he saw yeah. lights on, so he just came in. It's like, oh, hey, it's a new place. How was his transition to being a brewer then? Terrible. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> no, um... Well, yeah, Le- Levi ended up, uh, so he was in the Navy, and the, the Everett being really close to the, the Navy base, he ended up, um, at some point he got separated uh, from the Navy, got out, and there's like this time period where you still kind of have to stay close to like finish any like paperwork or anything like that. So he just asked if we wanted an intern. So he interned with us for a month uh, after separating the, uh, from the Navy and going back home to live in California. And then after a year, he decides, I'm coming, well, actually less than a year, he decided, I'm coming back to Washington in uh, so-and-so many months. I miss brewing. Can you hire me? He, he came on as a part-time bartender, part-time sales, part-time brewing, you know, just where, wherever I could fit him in. And he's been doing a great job. Like, he's, uh, his new title is actually just, he's, he's my assistant, uh, in every way that it happens to be, because he he, he does every, he does everything. He's like it's brewing, sales, bartending, whatever it happens to be. And so his real title is called Mini Dick. It's actually on his business card. It's Mini Mini Dick. Everybody has a fun title with our yeah yeah. So well, your title's head brewer. Yeah, well, Dick Head Brewer. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Sean's VP of antisocial media. Okay, okay. Uh, our tap room manager is the bar pixie. The bar pixie. The bar pixie. All right. Um, our, we've got a hop hustler, which is our sales guy. Not <laughs> so, bad. Drunky Brewster. Drunky Brewster. Drunky Brewster. Yep. Who's that? That's our office manager and oh, okay. bartender. <laughs> how many people? To give a sense of scale, how many people are on board total with between the two um, locations? I think we have eight people, uh, mostly bar staff, because um, we've got a couple part-time bartenders couple full-time bartenders we've got a sales guy we've got levi who's my my assistant 
Um, and then everybody, everybody kind of wears multiple hats. Right. Too, you know, you're still small. You're still that kind yeah. of scale. Yeah. So despite the like, so you've got two locations, which yeah. is pretty impressive. They're actually geographically, I don't know, kind of close. I live in between them, so it works out really well. Like it takes yeah. me two two minutes more to get to Woodenville than it does to Everett. Okay, so, yeah. that is convenient. Um, what is the point of that? So it's probably it's a great way for a small brewery to expand. It makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah. You almost could have opened a second brewery for the amount of effort you put in, right? Can't you? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's talk about that a little bit. I guess, I guess part part of the reason that we just opened a, like it as a second crucible rather than opening a second brand. Because you brew beer in both locations. We brew, yeah, both. Yeah, you're, a, you're a, the mini dick is over there brewing beer, and yeah. you're over here, or do you well, switch and I, back and I, forth? Yeah, we both switch back and okay, forth. Okay. It just kind of depends on the week. He's never brewed down here in Woodenville. I've been, the, I've brewed 100% of what's come out of here. Okay. Uh, and I still probably brew about 75% of what comes out of Everett. He mostly helps me with like like a couple batches here and there, gotcha. and okay. uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's very part time. He's going through nursing school right now, so. Yeah. So you're the head brewer at two breweries. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, part part of the reason that we we opened it up as a as a second crucible is probably just because I could use my second taproom license here, and we could actually start pouring beer even while waiting for the TTB approval and liquor control approval to mm. to actually utilize the system. So okay. we were open for four months before we could actually brew. So that's the trick: is if you were opening a new brewery. A new brand and everything, you do have to wait. I'd have to start completely yeah. over. I'd have to do like it was a brand new thing, and it took me about six months to get licensing the first time. That's, that's six months of sitting on a spot exactly where, that, where you can't do anything, where there's no money coming in. Which is why every time a new brewery opens up, they always have a couple of beers and then like a dozen guest taps, or like yeah. you know as many guest yeah, taps exactly. as they're allowed to have. What was the move there? Every other brewer I would talk to would probably say I would rather grow my original location expand that out a little bit more, do some more stuff in this spot before ever considering just opening a new place. Because I imagine neither one of those locations, like both of these locations probably have some room to grow or something, right? Uh, like, yeah, there's really not much room to grow in Everett. I mean, although uh, although the bakery outlet just moved out uh, there, but uh, I don't know if you've ever been there, but the ceiling height is kind of low. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got 12 feet max. It does feel like more of a bar there. It does. Yeah. It does. Um, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's not very industrial at all. So um, that that being said, uh, if I wanted to grow, I need bigger tanks, and I frankly just can't fit bigger tanks in there. Yeah. Here we've got twenty-five foot ceilings. Mm. A bigger system came with the with the purchase of the location. Everything was already built out. The floor drains put in, so it really reduced our construction expenses, planning, and I, another another huge factor for us is honestly this is a warehouse space. Everett is a retail space. So I don't know if you know a whole lot about the commercial property pricing, but if you're in a high traffic, high visibility, high available parking area, your rent is about three times more per square foot. So here we're in a low traffic, low visibility area, and it's warehouse. So our rent is actually quite affordable for this spot compared, like we're paying less than half. Yeah, and this place is enormous compared to your other location, yeah. Enormous, but it's full of all of our love for beer. What? Oh, man. <laughs> you got corny there. It's amazing how fast it fills up, too. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just so much like, yeah. you know, given that your old brewery, your first location was basically maxed out, and then the second opportunity appeared, 12 Bar Brewery was closing, uh, and you guys had the opportunity to snatch the place up and said, boom. Let's Kirk, the owner of 12 Bar, has been a friend of mine for five, six years. 
And yeah, they weren't doing so well. He said it was, you know, time to just kind of close it up. And he had not one, but two buyers back out with like no warning. So at one point, like he called me up and he said, you know, I have got, got this brewery. I'm still paying everything on it. He's like, I know you need to grow. He's like, I know you can do this. And this is right on the tail of us winning King Five Best of Western Washington. Make me an offer, anything you can. And I'll, he's like, as long as, as long as it's reasonable and not majorly undercutting, he's like, I'll take it, any offer. We found something that worked well for both of us and I was able to quadruple my production space without actually having to go through the hassle of ordering new equipment and new bank loans and everything like that. Right. So, although we did get a little bit of a capital loan just to get everything done, but right. <laughs> what's going to happen to the old spot? You got to keep on trying to maintain both. I mean, at Absolutely. a certain point, it's got to be too small to bother with, right? You know, I may may or may not continue to brew out of there. I've got ideas to turn that into like my barrel house. Barrel aging beer is actually one of my passions, um, but we don't have a huge amount of space to do that. So I, I may end up like moving a lot of my other stuff from production, like the grain storage and all the kegs just down here to Woodenville so that I can brew that and then keep my seven barrel system exclusively for barrels. What do you do here at Crucible to improve your beers, you know, iterate on them or anything like that? Do you do you do you do the same thing Mac and Jack does, where they maybe look at a beer and go, "Well, it's selling. What about why? Why would I change this?" There, there is a, there is a little bit of that. Like honestly, uh, I mean, our flagship beer, Woots IPA. I've noticed that there's there's some small issues with with the beer. I mean, but on the other hand, people don't like change, yeah. you know. So I mean, and it's still it's still one of my best sellers. So I produce it the way it is, even though it's not my favorite. Thankfully, I have 20 beers on tap at any given time. So, if I don't like it, I just won't drink it. I'll I'll produce it the way that the way that I've been doing it for the customers that uh, that want to. And uh, although I do make I do make minor changes on uh, some beers, like I have been really working on trying to get Flintlock to be hazy and cloudy the entire time. And so I, I finally this last batch I nailed it. It is cloudy. It is looks. It's beautiful. It, yeah, it's it, majestic. Even. Yeah, it looks just as horrible yeah. as every other cloudy beer out there. I don't like it though. I'm actually going to go back. You were talking about the like the efficiency of Mac and Jacks. They make the beer the same way every time. They're really fast and everything. They wouldn't tolerate a beer that's maybe hazy, maybe clear. That's one of the benefits you have as a small brewery, right? That you, get to, you kind of get to get away with that. That that's true. I mean, uh, I mean, but we the, get a the lot good... more uh, room to experiment yeah. and grow and tweak things as well, we uh, as we like. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my my biggest thing is I. I'm mo- my beers are almost always very clear. Um, that's the way that I like it. Nobody's going to really complain if it's like accidentally clear, um, you know. <laughs> so, so the so the problem that I'm having is like I'm actually having trouble keeping beers hazy, which is like kind of the opposite of of a lot of. I certainly never had that problem as yeah. a home brewer. Yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> like almost like almost all the uh, almost, like usually hazy is a sign of the, there's a problem yeah you know yeah. <laughs> so like that's so i've spent my entire brewing career trying to make clear products and then this haze craze came on and now i'm like trying to reverse my train of thought it's it's kind of a funny trend but you know what is going to save us right it's going to save the entire industry allegedly that has all the hype in the world brute yeah we're uh oh boy I don't know how I feel about these brood IPAs, honestly. They, yeah, they caught me by surprise. I had the first one ever that I'd ever had three weeks ago. Yeah. And then since then, been to two new breweries that have 
brewed IPA is either like in locked and loaded, ready to go. Not out yet, but on our way out. Spreading like wildfire. It's yeah. insane. Yeah, we're uh, brewing our first one next so Thursday. So describe what the hell that is. At least if I hadn't heard of it, I assume no one else has. So meh. But yeah. describe what one of those is. Okay, so um, it's kind of similar to the New England hazies, mm-hmm. um, whereas you're looking for a lot of that fruity character from the hops and the yeast and uh, you know the low bitterness. But the thing with the brood IPAs is they actually um, try to ferment out all of the residual sugar. Like New England's are traditionally kind of sweet. They've got a, the those ones you you want some residual sugars in there to like you know kind of complement the the hops and the uh, the fruity characters. Yeah, sorry about that glycol chiller. That thing gets loud every time the fans turn on. With the with the brood IPAs, what you're looking for is it's somewhat of a similar uh, style, but with no sugar so i mean those things ferment out to like zero play-doh completely bone dry just like a brute champagne Uh, so that's kind of what you're going for okay so you said you said this story was 22 years in the making so 22 years ago the beer scene was a different place like completely oh yeah right especially in our small town there was nothing yeah, so what were you drinking? Where were you getting stouts and porters you were drinking? That, like, you know, the kind of beer that you liked. Where were you, what was going on? 22 years ago, we weren't drinking anything, quote unquote, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's more like, uh, what was it, uh, 12? 12 years ago, yeah. that's when we started drinking. 13, 13 years ago. <laughs> yes, it was a different time for sure. I mean, when you, like, go to the store and you're like, I found a Guinness, guys. This is awesome. <laughs> Not to knock Guinness, it still holds up really well, kind of deal, right? But it was very much a foreign export well i mean we we probably started drinking about the same stuff that everyone back then was drinking if you were actually into craft and wanted some flavor i mean it was uh it was all about you know deschutes black beet porter for us the newcastle brown ale rogues dead guy you know moose rule moose Moose rule Rule, yeah yes i still love moose rule it's still one of my favorite beers it is you and sean are both also pretty big bike riders right Correct. You're part of the Watch and Bikers and Beer Drinkers Club. Yep. Yep, um, are you founding members of that, or just happy to come along? Um, no, we're not. We're not really the founding members of it, but we're uh, definitely early, early editions. Um, I mean, the, these guys just, uh, you know, they they're all Mug Club members of ours, uh, and they came in. They'd ride. They'd ride in every every Thursday. Like they they had the Thursday Night Madness. They would. They'd meet at the Linwood Park and ride and ride to Crucible Everett as fast as they possibly could. There's actually a lot of Strava records on there too, if, you, oh. if you're ever interested in competing. <laughs> but that that route again, there's actually a segment called Before Beer and After Beer. Which one's faster? I imagine that. I feel like yeah, the beer gets a little wobbly, but that beer gives that boost. Yeah, they did that. They they started this Facebook group, basically with the point of like, hey, I'm gonna ride from here to here, and we're gonna drink beer along the way. And so, I mean, it started with just a couple people, and then it, I mean, boy, there's three, four hundred members now, so yeah. it's a... It's a good little it, club. Yeah, it's a, it's a good little club, and I mean, just whenever you're going out, and you don't want to ride alone, you just say, I'm doing this ride, meet me here at this point, and somebody will al- almost always join you, I, I, in, unless I've discovered... Hey, I'm riding alone, but I got two kids. Who wants to tow one? Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> oh, that was you who posted that. That was me. Oh man, <laughs> so, yeah, that was that's no good. I saw I saw that post and I was like, well, oh well, sorry, buddy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> 
what's that look like your little bike that, with a kid tote behind it it's like just one of those little kitty peddlers well I, yeah i've got one of the kitty peddlers for my older kid and then i've got like one of the trailers for my for my youngest and so which one do you have had a friend tote the trailer oh, or the, the trailer <laughs> of course it's it's lighter easier and then you don't have to worry about balance so much yeah is yeah. a little kid on the back kind of like throw it off? Oh, or? yeah. Spe- especially when you've got one that's total ADHD like mine. <laughs> you drive you drive by somebody or ride by somebody walking a dog and she jerks her whole body to gaze. Ah, cute dog! You know? <laughs> and just meanwhile, I'm like, oh, I'm trying to stay up. <laughs> Let's not crash. <laughs> so we're talking about Crucible. How'd you come up with that name? What does that mean to y'all? It's a, uh, a majestic form of bull. And if you believe that, I've got some other bullshit for you, too. It's a crucible. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Arthur Miller. You know, the Salem Witch Hunt trials and stuff like that. You know, so it just... Very opropro to yeah. today's times, witch yes. hunts and all. Oh, yes. wait. No, that's uh, absolutely... So witch hunt are we talking about? Yeah, Sean, hunt? Sean mentioned there was going to be some bullshit in here, right? Yeah. Tons. So, um, Grab a shovel. So, no, uh, Crucible, Crucible um, I mean, as you can see in our logo, top portion of it actually is a, a, a Crucible. Yeah, the Crucible is used in a lot of different fields, whether it be uh, pharmaceuticals, metalworking, uh, glass blowing, electrical. Alchemy, gunsmithing, and more. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tool, but it's always used in the same purpose in any kind of field that it's actually used of, which is put your ingredients in it, heat it up, come out with something different. So in a nutshell, that's the brewing process. Stick our water, our grain, our hops, as we heat it up, and then we come out with something else. So that's it's a useful analogy, right? Yeah. It works out pretty good. And it sounds badass. Although we get a lot of people saying cubicle brewing. Which, you know, being from a software and stuff, that's kind of funny. I, I don't know. It just makes me feel bad about the uh, education system that people... Or cuticle. Cubicle. Right. Cu- cuticle. Yeah, I've seen cuticles too. Cuticle brewing. That is a nice segue back to something else we wanted to talk about. So you had just mentioned that you um, were able to finally quit your job and go brewery full time. So what was that transition like at all? Like I can imagine there are everyone listening to this podcast is somewhere on the spectrum of trying to quit their job for a brewery or having successfully done it or nowhere near. So. You, I'm glad you, you didn't did leave it. it there that someone on this or everyone on this podcast is somewhere on the spectrum. Like, <laughs> That's fair too, to just, be honest. Just, <laughs> just, <laughs> Why are we and, getting and a like, bunch of downvotes? What's yeah. going on? <laughs> These guys are mean and or educational and informative. Uh, so the biggest piece of advice I can give is while working on your dream, Continue working your day job as long as you can. Even though you've got those extra long hours, it gives you a lot of flexibility. If something breaks, something goes wrong, you still have that a little bit of a safety net, right? But for us, it was also very important that the brewer, the head brewer in particular, Dick, was able to work full-time at the brewery. And so sometimes sacrifices do need to be made. And Unfortunately, I wasn't able to uh, be as actively a part of the brewery in the, the super early days, you know, all the time. But it allowed us to have a little bit of that safety net and keep things floating while we were past our toddler stage, you know, wobbling and stuff like that. Because most new uh, businesses, breweries in particular, have the biggest amount of trouble in the first couple of years. So you do want to be able to uh, 
uh, stack the deck accordingly as much as you can. So to get into the little, like some of the cruncher details that you may or may not be comfortable sharing, you, for the most part, paid Dick's way to, to be a head brewer at a brewery that you were more or less sponsoring with your day job. Is that kind of... Yeah, that's a, that's a good uh, balance there, right? Was We needed to make sure that, number one, that, you know, well, cycling back a little bit there, having partners is really nice, yeah, uh, versus solo. There's a couple of outfits that are, you know, solo, solo uh, brewing, solo partnership kind of deal, and you it's nice having that flexibility with additional partners, right? Because otherwise... You need to have access to a yeah. larger labor pool that's willing yes. to work for free. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> that's willing to struggle against adversity, you know, for the hope of something later. Yes. Absolutely. Or, yeah, because if you did it by yourself, you'd, need to, you'd have to have paychecks to offer. Yes. Which it, is, which it is, is very much a short-term pain, long-term gain scenario. Yeah. You know, uh, you definitely want to plan for the future uh, and, mm. and make sure things are dialed in there. What you so basically what you started off with was you were you're paying him to do his job and then you're working both jobs trying to do this. Was there ever any like con like confusion? Did you have to work ever work anything out? Maybe one of you wasn't like wasn't quite pulling your weight. I imagine in a partnership situation you sometimes have to deal with that kind of stuff. Has that did that occur at all? Was that anything a hurdle you had to overcome? Well, I mean, I, I definitely see that as uh, definitely a potential point of conflict, but we having such a long history as friends together, that really didn't come up uh, as much. If it was, it was done in a, a friendly, either competitive or heckling kind of way. Uh, I know a lot of folks won't have that kind of tight uh, partnership. In, in some cases, maybe you've only known your prospective business partner for a few years. And so it can be a little bit more of a gamble there for sure, but you need to be able to set, set some boundaries find out where you're comfortable with each other and uh, make sure that you move past some of those uh, uh, conflicts. First question, how old are you? 34. 34. So let's see, you've been drinking for 22 years. All right, I'm doing Carry the math. one, subtract the two. Yeah. <laughs> how old are you? 34. I knew that answer would be the same as Sean's answer. Yeah, I, uh, I am three months older than Sean, even though he looks 30 years older than me. It's the beard though. He's got it all the way out. Actually, if you don't mind me interrupting the lightning round, they've got kind of a funny story with this. Oh, yeah. Because I've, told, I've been telling people the entire time that Sean and I have been friends for like 22 years. Before he cut his beard down and like trimmed it, he looks a lot younger now. But like yeah. when he had the big old bushy one, yeah. like I was telling somebody that how long we've been friends. And, they're, and then they asked me, they're like, how old are you? I was 30, 33 at the time. And they looked at me and they looked at Sean and they're like, were your parents okay with you hanging out with somebody that much older than you? Because <laughs> you know, so, they thought he was 53. So. What is your favorite beer that you brew here? So that's going to depend wildly, uh, kind of season to season, quarter to quarter. But at the moment, our big berries, uh, you know, uh, Kettle Sour that we did as a collaboration with Dreadnought Brewing, is one of my favorites. It's pretty much my shift pint every night kind of deal right now. Yeah. It's got 252 pounds of berries, strawberries, blackberries, blueberries, and raspberries. I'm now a sour guy. I wasn't, you know, hearkening back to some of our earlier conversation, I did not care for sours, but my feet were put to the fire by my friends, Dick being one of the chief ones on that, and now I'm a sour lover. So that, that one is one that I'm thoroughly enjoying. The favorite beer I brew here is the Bulat Brown. It is a very light 
it's a, it's a light brown. So it's, uh, you know, four point, what is it, 4.7%. So it drinks really, really easy. Uh, it's not super bitter, but it still gives you some of that, like, nice ch kind of chocolatey, stouty flavor, you know? So that's my favorite year-round. What is or was your favorite beer of all time? Perhaps the beer that turned you into the, the man you are today. Oh, hmm. I would have to say, um, this is also uh, circling back a little bit, but uh, uh, Big Sky Brewing's uh, Moose Rule was definitely one of those big cornerstone beers. Uh, in fact, our, our Boulot Brown is very inspired by that beer. It's actually our oldest recipe that hasn't changed. It's the Boulot Brown. So. Moose okay. Rule was definitely a cornerstone there for sure. God, I... I honestly have a very hard time uh, answering that question. Uh, I'm leaning towards Rodenbach Grand Cru. Like that, that's like one that's, I mean, it's such an affordable, like, like that's my desert island beer. Yeah. Like if I only had like one beer to pick and that's the only thing I could drink, that would definitely be Rodenbach Grand Cru because it's, you know, it's got some of the nice dark malty characters that you want, but it's light enough and then it's got the sour, you know, so it's just like, it's really nice. Uh, blend of flavors, but um, last but not least, when was the last time you cried? <laughs> well, let's see. In between takes of this interview, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good and and then also on my birthday, because I'm like, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> oh, we should talk about Sean Fest. Uh, yeah. That's what he did on your birthday. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, uh, part of it was, uh, you know, tears of joy on how crazy and amazing the beer community is. Everyone came out for a spontaneous birthday slash beer fest that we threw at Crucible. Uh, it was called Sean Fest 2018, the first annual. And we had eight breweries with Sean's from those breweries bringing eight different beers to the fest. It was incredible. Uh, a pouring of support from, from folks that uh, from our Everett location and our uh, our Woodenville location. Uh, just amazing. you know. Friends, and family, one and all. And that's a little crazy to imagine. We've got like, what, how many breweries in Seattle? Like 60 or something like that. I guess Everett's, got, if you include Everett and Woodenville, that's up, there's probably a few more. Um, there's definitely a ton more. But out of those, out of the breweries that you know, you were able to summon together eight Brewers named Sean, which is just hilarious to me. Yeah, and that was actually with you know relatively little uh, time and planning there. I yeah. imagine if, if this becomes a regular thing, being able to get even more Sean's because I've run into tons of different Sean's in the industry. So this this is going to be a fun, I think, annual event for us. as long as I keep having birthdays. So yeah. keep me alive, folks. Oh man, <laughs> I love it. Uh, last time I cried, that was it's the beginning of May. <laughs> like, we had uh, our glycol chiller break, our hot liquor tank in Everett broke, and then I got a new shipment of kegs that were supposed to come in ready to fill, and then I discovered after filling a lot of them that they were not ready to fill. All of this stuff happened in like in one day, and I had filled 14 keg half barrels into bad kegs. So I looked at that like going, okay, I just put one of our biggest money makers into these kegs, and we just have $10,000 worth of damaged equipment <laughs> in there and I actually cried and Sean had to hold play. I, I got down on my knees, I put my head down on the keg. He was like this. And, I got my head on his shoulder and, right now. Yeah, well and Sean actually had to wrap his arms around me and hold me while I cried because I was so stressed out. So yeah, oh, not too go. long ago actually. Not that was long long like ago. two months. <laughs> 
All right, well, that does it. We've been talking for a while. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure chatting with you. Good to talk to you, too. Yeah, thanks for coming around, and let's go grab a beer. That was Crucible owners Sean and Dick. Dick the head brewer and Sean the everything else. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Washington Beer Talk. I'm your host, the Cycling Cicerone. If you want to get more episodes of the podcast, then go to cyclingcicerone.com slash podcast. They're all up there. You can get on a Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, most of the places you can get podcasts. Don't forget to check out Craft Beer of the Month at cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club to support the podcast and get tasty beer. Gigantic Bicycle Fest is a three-day festival of music, biking, and the arts, and this year, yours truly is hosting the Beer Garden. If you want to help out, or if you're a brewer that wants to serve your beer at our Beer Garden, then hit me up. If you love biking, camping, art, or any combination of those, then register for a ride at giganticbicyclefest.org and use my promo code BEER for half off your admission. You can register for a 50-mile ride, a century ride if you're bold, or just come and enjoy the music festival and beer, August 24th to 26th. See you there. But I thought there was no crying in baseball. (laughs) That makes no sense, Sean. It's tangible to crying. Can we cut him out? Oh, I'll edit that away. Yeah. <laughs> 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 this is their Charlie Sheen.